0: Um, Today's webinar is on contractor management, your obligations, your risks, and the challenges. Um, Now, GreenCap is, uh, we've got three presenters, a moderator and two speakers from GreenCap. GreenCap has been leading the way in risk management and compliance in Australia since 1984. Um, GreenCap's purpose is to make the world safer, and that starts with the protection of people, property, and the environment. Assisting businesses in managing risk and compliance, GreenCap delivers value through practical and tailored risk management solutions. Um, I'm going to share a link to a bonus resource um, on contractor management self-assessment in the chat panel um, sometime just after the, the speakers start. So our moderator today is Phoebe Gain. Phoebe is an experienced risk consultant Environmental Engineer and Operations Manager with over 11 years experience working alongside clients in the construction, defense, resources, government, healthcare, education, and retail sectors. As the National Operations Manager for Health and Safety at Greencap, Phoebe oversees, coordinates, and leads Greencap's health and safety technical team in safety risk management, contract management, management systems, occupational hygiene, mold, and toxicology and compliance. Now, the, the first speaker today is Renee Dawson. Renee is a highly experienced health and safety practi- practitioner with over 16 years' experience across multiple industries. In her current role as practice manager for health and safety with GreenCap, Renee is working with a diverse range of clients to elaborate evaluate formulate and implement robust risk management strategies and controls specific to managing occupational health and safety risks and our second speaker today is Bianca Camoglia. Uh, Bianca is an experienced safety practitioner with over 12 years of diverse experience working with and across various industries, including healthcare, logistics, utilities, construction and education. In her role as team manager, health and safety at Greencap, Bianca brings extensive industry experience to implement systematic and sustainable changes within client organisations, including the development and implementation and auditing of management systems that allow them to demonstrate due diligence and meet legislative compliance. So I'll hand this over to you, Phoebe. Now, and thank you very much for joining us today.
1: Thank you so much, Sarah, for having us, and uh, welcome everybody to the webinar. Um, we're going to run this as a pretty informal conversation, and just have a bit of a chat around some of the complexities and components that fall into contractor management by looking at a few scenarios um, and bringing out some of those key learnings. Um, and then at the end, we'll have a bit of an open Q and A. Um, so yeah, and uh, off we go then. So before we get into the nitty gritty, um, we just thought we'd start off with a bit of a poll um, to understand where you feel in the audience that your contractor management system um, is currently um, and how comfortable you are with it. So um, there's a poll coming up now on your screen. So um, we're looking at options from very where you have a very well-established framework, it's working well in conjunction with your WHS management system and your procurement process end-to-end. Through somewhat where some aspects are established, but there are some gaps which could potentially be impacting your operations, uh, or you've got a limited setup where there's not a clear framework, or you're lacking the resource commitment or maybe uh, leadership in the space, and you're just a bit concerned. Uh, otherwise, if you'd rather not say, that's obviously absolutely fine. So we'll just give everybody a bit of a moment just to answer that. Um, and once we've got some um, results, we'll just have a little look um, at where we, where we are.
0: Okay, we have about um, 70% voted um, so far, so we'll just give it another couple of seconds. All right, I think I'll end, end that now, i got 75%. So you should see the results.
1: Okay, so we've got a bit of a mixed bag there. Um, it looks like most uh, people are identifying that they're sort of on the journey, but maybe not fully there. Um, Bianca, Renee, have you got any comments about that? Renee, maybe I'll pass to you there.
2: Yeah, sure. No, thanks, Phoebe. So, yeah, look, this is um, quite re- reflective of, I guess, uh, the vast range of potential contractor arrangements that each organisation has. And and I guess there's such a divergence and such a, I guess, diverse approach to executing business activities. And contractor management is something um, that can be quite challenging to, um, I guess, formulate and implement and, and get right for the business activity. So, I guess, that's not too of an unsurprise um, to
1: myself. Yeah. Great. Well, what we'll do now is we'll dive straight into what we think um, a mature contractor management framework would look like. Because obviously, depending on your organisation, it's going to vary hugely um, whether, you know, depending on the type of business you are, how large you are, the type of contractors you engage, how frequently you engage those contractors and the sort of activities that they um, complete for you, but on a very high level, I think it's important to get an idea of what needs what components fall into those systems. So, Renee, in summary, what what would you say are the key points of a, of a mature
0: system?
2: Um, yeah, of course. So, um, I guess on the slide we've summarised those four key points there. So, um, and just at a high level, um, procurement stage is really quite important, and and that's I guess. One question you can ask yourself is Have you identified and defined a clear scope of work and the hazard and risks that are associated with that work from a health, safety, environment perspective? So, be it through, say, a risk assessment, Um, from a a pre qualification and selection, um, you know, prior to engaging a contractor. do you have a process to pre-qualify or to approve those contractors prior to allocation or, or even continuation of work, for example, say if there's been a critical incident on site. And then prior to commencing on work, we're going to look at uh, is there some, I guess, systems or controls or process around onboarding and induction. So that may include, um, uh, I guess, inducting to the project, the site or task, but also verifying that the contractor documentation and system is current and where it needs to be. And then um, from a monitoring and review perspective, so once you've actually engaged that contractor, have you got a process to monitor and verify that those work activities that are being performed by contractors are being done appropriately on site, but then also obviously confirming the currency and adequacy of those safety management system arrangements that they've stated that they do have in place?
1: Okay, so you're just looking at that verification process end-to-end, ensuring that you've, you're checking in with your contractor at all stages, right from before they get engaged, through to when they're providing repeat business for you. Um, we'll jump into the first case study now. Um, Renee, um, I'm, it may just be me, but just a comment. Can you speak up a bit? Because I found your, your, your vocals oh. quite quiet. I don't know whether you're far from your microphone. Sorry. Thank you. <laughs>
0: um,
1: So the first case study we're going to look at um, looks in more detail at this pre-qualification and then the monitoring and review uh, stage of a contract management system. So Renee, this one uh, is a a scenario in the client that you've been working with extensively. Can you give us a bit of a summary of the overarching issue for this client?
2: Yeah, no, thanks Phoebe. So in in this case example, we were approached by an organization who engages a high volume of of contractors across Australia um, to carry out repair work on client and customer sites. And, and some of those settings are in, I guess, residential settings, but also commercial. And um, in 2017, there was a, a contractor who was unta- undertaking routine work when an item of plant that was being used to complete that task experienced a crit- critical failure. And that actually resulted in a serious crush injury requiring surgery. So th- there was a Um, Obviously, a detailed investigation process and that identified a number of critical gaps, both in the client and the contractor's management systems. And some of those gaps included um, an absence of a contractor pre qualification process and also no process of monitoring or auditing contractor activities on site. So, there was tended that they found there was a bit of an over reliance of contractors to maintain those basic um, health and safety standards.
1: Okay, so it sounds like you had a client who possibly didn't have a system that was aligned with the volume and the number of, of contractors they had that it wasn't quite sophisticated enough.
3: Yes, that's correct. Um,
1: so Bianca, um, I might pull you into this now. Um, why is monitoring contractor systems so
3: important for clients? Sure, yeah, often when we engage contractors they're performing a range of services over a period of time and could potentially in this case um, be over quite a number of sites. So it's really important that you do monitor um, your contractors post engagement to ensure that contractors are performing the work in accordance with the the way in which they dictated to you through the um, procurement phase. It's really important that we are monitoring and um, managing that relationship moving forward because essentially there's that due diligence requirement there to monitor um, and review contractor work. So making sure that they're doing what they said they were doing in that um, first phase is, is imperative. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, so
1: Renee, how, how does that monitoring and review process work in practice and how did it work for this particular client?
2: Yeah, so there, there, there was many parts to this that um, I guess in, in summary, I guess we firstly assisted organisation establish a robust pre-qualification process up front and and it's a requirement for those contractors they must satisfy and maintain and without that then the contractors are actually unable to be allocated or signed any work. Um, Our our team uh, undertake periodic audits um, of the contractors management system from a desktop audit process and that's actually in addition to pre-qualification um, and then we also periodically audit the work activity that have been on site so there's a physical inspection across varied work sites and settings routinely throughout I guess um, you know, the, the year um, and, and that's to really assess and assure the adequacy of those health and safety arrangements and controls
1: so with, with such a high number of contractors on this for, for a large client like this and, and you know that, that regular turnaround of, of service. There must be situations where you're getting corrective actions and non-conformances, and I imagine that becomes quite a large data set. How in those complex scenarios can you ensure that those uh, non-conformances get handled appropriately and consistently?
2: Yeah, so I guess firstly, it's really important um, that we are being very open and transparent and really sharing the learnings and outcomes of that site audit um, or desktop I guess, audit at the time of inspection. So those areas of non-conformance or opportunities for improvement are raised um, and openly discussed with the contractor. So there's a level understanding of what the gaps were and also what um, some of those um, controls or actions to close those can be. Um, If there's a critical situation, then that um, escalates as well as a different process around that. But with regards to capturing those corrective actions, I guess we've invested a lot of time and energy to make sure we get this right. And that took time um, and it also took engagement and it also took uh, a number of, I guess, a bit of a mix of digital solutions, but I guess we've got an, uh, there's an audit report that's generated and that details corrective actions. And then there's actually uh, a system that, that is used to capture corrective actions that are then formally raised. And then um, there's a time frame that gets allocated. So, yes. Okay. Yeah. Yep.
1: yeah. So it's quite, it's quite involved, but it's involving a variety of tools to help you ensure that you're capturing that data and managing it appropriately. Yes. Um, one, I'll just quickly, we're, we'll move on to the next case study very shortly, but I'll just ask one more uh, query around. it. It was obviously a bit of a challenge to implement this because if you're dealing with so many contractors and your client and the organization as a whole, the cultural shift would have been a big journey to go on. Can you just give us a brief summary of, how that's working, and what have been some of those challenges to, to in, implement this system?
2: Yes, um, and I guess you, you know the work on safety culture engagement is, is never is never done. Um, we're now entering in our second year of the of the program, and, and we have seen a significant um, uplift and transition to a more committed approach. So there, there's um, improved understanding. Um, I guess from the contractors um, that we work with, that the intent of that process to assist, uh, improve the way in which they undertake their business and and, and obviously doing that in a manner that is safe and not putting, I guess, um, any lives um, or or property or environment at risk. And um, that assists them in meeting their obligations requirements, but also that organisation in demonstrating due diligence. And so there has been, um, we have seen a shift in the culture both through that organisation because that middle management has been actively engaged and brought along on the journey, but then also the the, the contractors themselves.
1: Okay, so yeah, so it just sounds like you know these big uh, big change pieces do require you know commitment at all levels of the organization to drive that and then continually assess it um, because without that ownership within your own organization, you're not going to be able to roll out something effectively like this. Um, so just quickly to summarise, you know, from, from what you've said, it sounds like by implementing a, a system where you are doing that on-site verification of the contractors, um, the client and the organisation has got more confidence that the work that the contractors is, is doing is in line with what they said they do and that they're discharging their obligations with regards to contract management. Um, so, over, I mean, that, that seems like a, you know, this a really good example of where implementing something from a consistency can reduce the complexity of a large contractor portfolio. We might jump onto the second case study now um, and look more around uh, the sort of high level uh, review of um, the setting up of the contractor system and then looking a bit more in detail at that pre-qualification and onboarding and overarching process. So Bianca,
3: can you run us through this particular scenario, please? Yeah, sure. So we were approached by a major green power provider uh, to do a worker safety management system review. This particular uh, client had no formal contractor management in place and uh, that was the predominant part of their business. They had very limited staff in an office and they were managing large assets nationally.
1: So, was this an Australian organisation or were they, how did this come about? Was this an acquisition from an overseas company or was it Australian?
3: Yeah, so this particular um, client was an overseas owned uh, PCBU. The business was set up within Australia uh, for assets working within Australia. So, there was a little bit of um, negotiation with the initial stakeholders around uh, setting up who the PCB was and the officers. That was really important to define that at the beginning of this project. And I can imagine that required a bit of upskilling and education piece for the client around
1: the familiarity
3: with Australian legislation. Oh, definitely. That was one of the major things that we had to do was sit their stakeholders down and bridge that gap with the Australian legislation. That was really important.
1: So I suppose from a contractor management system perspective, it's obviously ensuring that when you set out on these processes that your organization and those key influences within that organization have the understanding of what their obligations are before they start effectively leading the process. Um, Renee, I might just quickly ask, um, when you've got a contractor, you know, obviously working op- operating in Australia uh, and a client sourcing uh, international contractors what are some of the challenges that that brings in terms of making sure those overseas contractors are working to domestic requirements
2: yeah so i guess yeah there's obviously a level of complexity around that because you might be your particular services um, or quite specialist to say a particular plant um, that you need those requirements for so yes there needs to obviously make sure that you there is an um, having a look at those arrangements and and seeing that they are actually relevant and I guess contextualized for the Australian operating environment and we also see that on the on the other side where we may have clients who are based overseas and they may actually engage contractors or, or maybe have a quick startup of operation here in Australia and they need to you know urgently mobilise and and lean on, I guess, um, a whole diverse mix of resources to deliver those services. So what we tend to find is that there may be um, a management system that's developed overseas that gets leaned on in that Australian um, setting and and there may be potential, um, you know, uh, gaps or blind spots that might be introduced um, by doing that. And, And, you know, as Bianca said, just taking that diligence to really just have a look and make sure you are contextualising those management system and also how you are engaging and what checks you're doing. Um,
1: sure, sure. Yeah. So, um, just back to this scenario, Bianca. And um, what was the process here? What came first was there, was there an over overall review of the system, or did we dive straight into the contractor management process? What 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 was the the
3: First part. Yeah, so essentially we did have to have a look at the overarching Worker Safety Management System first. Um, It's really important that when setting up any systems uh, that you have an overarching framework to run against. So we performed a gap analysis in the initial part to see what the Worker Safety Management System was and we undertook to um, get that set up strategically first before we delved into the contractor management. So... um
1: it's that, you know, for for a green energy provider or any utility provider, I can imagine you have a huge, diverse range of contractors from the sort of tier one constructors down to the sort of mum and dad operations and maybe more regional asset sites. How on earth did you design or implement a contractor management system that was flexible enough to deal with those differing levels of sophistication at the contractor end?
3: Yeah, good question. So it was really important for us in the front to. Um, contextualise the business and align that especially to the new standards 45001 ask that businesses do contextualise that so it was really important for us that we did make this contractor management system work for this particular contractor and meet the needs of both those mums and dads and t1 contractors so it was really important that we had a very scalable approach and made sure that we were doing that in accordance with the risk profiles that each of those contractors bring to the projects.
1: So if you had one piece of advice for our audience around designing a contract management system that isn't overcomplicated and is flexible, what would that key takeaway be?
3: Yeah, so making sure that your approach is uh, scalable, that you're matching it against your risk management profile or your risk appetite within your own business and making sure as well that the um, the most easiest option for the workers to take in any part of the process is the safest. So, so what do you mean by that? Can you elaborate a little bit there? Sure. So essentially when we make the easiest option, the safest option, then you are allowing staff to be set up for success when there's an easier option, or if there are gaps in the system that allow people to make other decisions, um, then that's where you can open the gate for, um, potential decisions to be made that lead to the non-safe approach or the safest procedure. So
1: the human nature, you know, people always take the easy way out. So you've got to make it a bit of a fail-safe system from that perspective. Okay, great. So so what were the major take-homes from this project, would you say?
3: Yeah, so for us, it was really important to make sure that the stakeholders were engaged, that we had a really big upskilling piece. This particular client didn't have any internal resources. So it was really important that we did work with them and we gave them the knowledge, the information and the tools to be able to manage their workload. Uh, So it was about integrating the contractor management requirements into their everyday activities. That was really essential.
1: Okay. So what we might do now is we'll just go on to a third scenario Um, and I'm just gonna throw this one out to you guys. and let's look at it from the sort of end-to-end framework view. So say a client comes to you and they're a large government organization um, and they want an end-to-end review of their system. They've onboarded various contractors over time and they're now worried that their systems got really overcomplicated and fractured um, and they also don't have a clear idea of who's running it within their organization. Um, And and they're also not sure they're even evaluating um, the system appropriately. In that scenario, where on earth do you start? Um, Renee, maybe I'll ask you to, to field that one.
2: Yeah, and look, that's something that we, we see quite often, and, and it is really challenging. Um, if there was an easy option, then I guess, you know, we probably wouldn't be sitting here today and, and obviously reflecting on such a diverse approach to managing contractors. But I guess an important thing that I often advise is to take, take a step back and try to get an overview of what processes you've got in place so where are those touch points so at what point of your organisation or your I guess say um, supply chain or your project life cycle where you are engaging contractors and who is involved in that and who your key stakeholders are um, and also look at your management system but also your procurement systems to see okay what strengths do you have that you can leverage off but then also um, what might be not working so well that you need to revisit and I often find you know as Bianca mentioned before coming in and, and doing a little bit of a, a risk workshop or a risk review, so you can really get that at a high level and really have a prioritized approach that you can then, I guess, um, start to execute. But you do, you do really need to get a grasp of that end-to-end framework, and then I guess just start to chip away at it. Um, and and obviously, uh, there's there's a there's a whole raft of other things you can do, which I'm happy to dive into. Um, you know, be it from looking at incident records or, or, or data, other incidents, case law, etc. Um.
1: Okay, so it sounds a bit, just sorry to jump in there, but it sounds a bit like when you get those scenarios, the, the first priority has to be that you, you're doing a data gathering exercise and you're understanding what is the current state of play yes. and really developing a robust uh, appreciation of where the gaps are, what the the, the key focus areas need to be, um, whilst bearing in mind what the nature of the individual organization is so that you ensure that you're developing a system that's really relevant to them and and works for them. And going back to Bianca's point about making that system easy for for them.
2: Yeah, and if you're taking that risk-managed approach where you quantify risk, then you actually can have a little bit of assurance that you are working on those areas that may give rise to potential um, injury, but also potential liability as well.
1: So that goes to to, to establishing that framework goes to the points I made around this organisation having a fractured understanding and and not a consistent approach. Um, Bianca, um, in this case where this this, uh, client might feel that their approach to contractor engagement was a bit lax and it was maybe based on trust and kind of leaving the supervision and controls to the contract individual contractors. Um, how, how can you address that to try and build some consistency and rigor into that in contractor engagement piece?
3: Yeah. So there's a few points. Um, obviously consultation piece is really important. So having that continuous open um, communication with the contractors is really imperative, but then there's also things like doing a, um, a review on the, either the project management plans or um, their SWIMs, uh, all of the documentation that they've provided you before they've uh, started undertaking the work, and just going back and doing checks, spot audits, if you like, um, and site reviews to make sure that they're actually doing what they said they would do. That would then give you the reassurance to be able to fulfill your due diligence requirements. So, say you get a, a,
1: a client or an organisation and they develop a really solid contractor safety management system, is that going to be enough to satisfy the risk management requirement of the model WHS Acts? So I'll ask you about that Bianca. Sorry. Yeah, no that's
3: okay. <laughs> no, <you're honest. laughs> um, yeah, no, um, no it won't, on, the, on its own it won't. You, you still need that monitoring and review of contractors, that's part of the legislation and part of the due diligence requirements. So it is really, really imperative that you you add that into the process and that needs to be underpinned by the whole worker safety management system of the organisation as well. Okay,
1: so surely when you do a complicated, uh, when you have a complicated setup, I'm imagining the approach you would take would be very different to say if you had a very simple organisational structure where they only needed, say, one to ten contractors. Um, Renee, how in-depth or complex does a system need to be based on an organisation?
2: Well, I guess you want to try to make it as least complex and complicated as possible. So you want to make it um, simple and easy to navigate and easy to achieve. Um, And I think that's sometimes what can happen and, and it, through goodwill that, that sometimes there's a lot of controls that get put in place but they you know as we've discussed can become I guess somewhat overcomplicated. but I guess it it does the framework that you put to, to put together as we've discussed does depend on the employer's risk profile and the risk profile of the contractors so it, it needs to be appropriate to the type of contractors that are being engaged um, and so I guess so for example if you are engaging I guess, uh, a low risk contractor, um, such as, you know, in a a non-pandemic environment, just to say like a routine um, office cleaning contractor, they would, um, you know, require less scrutiny than versus someone who's doing high risk work, such as um, window cleaners. And Um, actually, it's
1: interesting you bring up the pandemic environment as just just before we close and go to our second poll. um, What have you observed in terms of effective implementation of contractor management systems during the pandemic because I would imagine that you know we've we've been in a scenario where organizations have had to rapidly switch tack and change the way they manage things and also roll out a whole load of new information to their contractors to ensure business continuity. Renee can I just ask a few um, questions around on current projects you're working on how has that worked effectively and not so effectively?
2: Yeah, so I guess um, uh, we have seen, um, you know, with organisations who um, in their response have, I guess, ceased contractors coming to site um, just because of obviously their own um, risk strategy. But then there are obviously, um, you know, essential services where they still need those contractors to be, um, I guess, engaged to deliver their services. And uh, what we've seen is, um, you know, firstly from a, a cleaning of view there's been a a lot of um you know review and, and support around you know that i've seen organizations provide their cleaning contractors to make sure that they've got the the standard um of methodology um to the level that's needed because obviously the effectiveness of that cleaning methodology is obviously going to be um you know, key to that organization's success in responding in the event of, say, a, a suspected or confirmed case, um, but obviously also ensuring that work environment is, um, I guess, main, is cleaned and, and maintained at the, the standard that's needed. And then we've also seen situations where there's needed to be a complete review of uh, firstly, maybe where contractors are going on site. So if in the event you do need to do some contact tracing, considerations of any sort of tools or equipment that might be brought to site, or even those that might be shared because obviously cleaning and disinfection of those, and even some of the things around the issuing of permits and that, that permitting um, aspect and, you know, uh, handling of locks and, and um, you know, permits and, and so forth. So we, we and also, I guess um, the other thing coming to mind is, is those things that might not be obvious, um, so we we had um advice um for one particular client where they had an intercom on a gate which was a high touch point and they you know they, they didn't realize at, at first that it was a high touch point so we've also had to sort of um i guess we've seen i guess again that that need to step back and really get a bird's eye view um and then obviously make sure that you because obviously Contractors are classified as workers under the Act, so also needing to ensure that they are captured as part of that sort of pandemic, COVID safe, yeah.
1: So I suppose, I mean, in layman's terms, if I was to take away the key point there, I'd say, you know, that that regular um, communication and ensuring the information flow is is continued um, to make sure that contractors are adhering to any new requirements. And I also imagine, you know, uh, being a bit creative in the way you uh, you audit those contractors, maybe I don't know, by virtual means in a scenario where you can't do things face to face because of social distancing. But yes. um, I think it comes back to those four points we spoke about earlier, and I've just been jotting down some notes on these as you guys have been talking. And if we look back to what a mature system looks like, we've got those four stages of procurement, prequal and selection, onboarding and then monitoring review. So I've just written a few words on each of those. So I think at the procurement and and that initial stage is taking that step back and really establishing a a solid understanding of the the nature of the individual organisation and where they are at currently in terms of their journey um, of managing contractors. And then when you're implementing a pre-qualification or selection process. It's, it's making sure that that's flexible to capture all range of, of contractors and making sure that they're it's rigorous without being overcomplicated. And then the onboarding piece, I am uh, I think that's where that key education and upskilling um, requirement comes in to ensure that contractors entering your sites and working for your organization really understand the things that they said they'd do at the prequel. Um, and then following that through at the monitoring stage and being consistent and simple with regular communication to your contractors throughout the process. So uh, that concludes our discussion around the scenarios. So thank you so much Bianca and Renee for your, your comment. Before we finish, we just wanted to have a quick poll again with our audience just to see how this conversation's gone and whether it's triggered any thoughts for you in terms of your system. Um, so uh, I'm comfortable in terms of our organisation has got this covered, we are all good Um, or maybe our discussions prompted a few changes for you and highlighted that you might need to go away and revisit areas or it's highlighted to you that there is still quite a lot of work to do Um, So, or if you're unsure that's fine Um, so feel free to answer those um, and then we'll just have a quick look at that and
0: then we'll move to an open Q&A Okay, so that poll is going on. Um, I just wanted to find out, Phoebe, are you able to see the Q&A panel? Or do you want me to read Uh, it? I
1: think I can indeed. Yep, yep, I've
0: got it. So I'm going to leave that with you. Um, We currently have 61% voted. So I'll just wait a few seconds. All right, well, I think um, I'll end that poll now. Um, so you should see the results in a couple of seconds.
1: Great, well, uh, looking at that, um, it's you know, it's the there's 12% are comfortable, they're, they're all good, which is quite good. And actually, if we look at the first two polls, that's quite consistent with the number of the audience who said that they had a pretty established system. Um, and again, the prompting some changes that, that aligns with our earlier point where we identify that. These systems were somewhat developed. Um, and hopefully the, the downloadable resource we'll be sharing with you will possibly help clarify specifically which areas you want to focus on. Um, so free, feel free to go through that and see if those that checklists assist at all. Um, but what's pleasing to see is there's only 3% who are, who are still unsure, so that's great, because hopefully that's assisted you guys to some extent. Um, Okay, well, we'll just jump onto the Q&A. So what I might do is just read out the questions um, and I'll field them um, to Renee or Bianca accordingly. Um, So first question here. um, Contractor selection is often jobs for mates. How on earth do you begin to break that attitude? I think that's a really relevant question, um, particularly where you have established relationships within an organisation. and perhaps smaller organisations that don't have, you know, established procurement or panels, etc. Um, Renee, I might just ask you to talk to that behaviour change piece.
2: Yes, and it, it very much is a behaviour change piece, and I guess, you know, we do see that um, very often, and I guess um, in a previous life, um, we actually had a, a particular staff member who was undertaking work, and they actually left the organisation and came back as a contractor. And um, because there was such an over reliance on trust, and uh, look, you know, this person is, you know, uh, we know him, it's fine. Um, there was a lax attitude, and and this individual um, unfortunately was very seriously injured after trying to pull a prank on a a colleague who was operating a forklift at the time and the the employee didn't see them and actually reversed and and ran over this individual. Um, So that was, a, I guess, that sort of just came to mind, which was really, really critical and actually sent a lot of shockwaves. And you don't want to have something like that happen or eventuate to prompt change, but it is very much a behavioural change piece. And that's why it's so critical to look at trying to, identify and engage particularly your middle manager your supervisors a lot of these i guess individuals are very time poor but they are really critical to engage and also if you can make the system workable um, and then and, and make it easy for them to achieve um, but it, it does take time so um, yes there, there's, there's a big piece that goes into that but it's also making sure you've got that leadership and commitment um, yeah. behind that
1: so so leadership at the right level of organization a simple process to follow that's workable that doesn't necessarily discount those you know a rates for mates sort of setups, um, but but also ensures that you're you're developing some rigor and i imagine being able to provide case studies such as the one you just mentioned is quite a, is an awful way to do it but sometimes i can imagine it takes you know, putting those sort of stark information to those influences with an organisation to make them realise the potential implications if they do that, allow that process to
2: continue. Yep. And I guess another way you can do it is if you're wanting to introduce, obviously, that monitoring piece, you don't need to call it an audit, you don't need to call it, you can soften the language so that through that process, by doing sort of spot checks or or just reviews, you might be able to identify some gaps and and sort of look at identifying potential, I guess, um, opportunities to make improve from that process as well.
1: Sure, Um, I'll just move on to the next question. Question for Bianca. How would you make safety the simplest step when often safety requires additional steps? That's a brilliant question. <laughs> Over to you.
3: <laughs> yeah, so look, I think it, it comes back to making it the easiest option. Um, you know, if, if people see that it is the easiest option and they um, understand the reason that it needs to change, then, you know, ownership um, quite clearly, once somebody owns uh, a particular process and they can see the rationale for it, they're more likely to come with you on that journey. Um, quite often we're in situations ourselves where, uh, you know, the, the option to walk through a process might not come um, quite as easy for the person that we're speaking to. So we actually try and uh, ask them to take us on a journey from their perspective and then we work through with them to get them to actually understand the reason why and the benefit it has to them. I think that that helps change that mindset um,
1: yeah, so so getting that ownership. So you, while you may have to take an additional step first time, by doing it right and establishing it, in the long term it becomes a more simple process. I think getting that understanding is, is important too. Correct. Go okay, I've um, got a couple more questions. Budgets, yep, yeah, is a very critical for relevant safety resource in place, such as PPE, safety professionals, safety equipment and other protective gear. How would you make sure the safety related budget has been put in place properly and make sure contractors do not cut costs from the safety budget and i think that's really relevant particularly in in the environment we find ourselves in now as we come out of the pandemic and we're in a potentially quite constrained economy at the moment Um, renee i might ask you to address that one
2: yeah so i guess um you know not having controls in place and, and using i guess budget as a as a barrier is is not a reasonable excuse for not obviously meeting your health and safety obligations um so i guess the and and look you can look at addressing that through the the contracts um your service level agreements that you're engaging and if you've got that very clear scope of work and those expectations defined then that should help um i guess really identify that but it it's um yeah, so I guess, yes, budget is really critical, but it doesn't become a reasonable excuse at the end of the day.
1: Sure. Um, so uh, where, when you say, can contractor management systems need to be scalable, were you meaning in response to contractor sophistication or risk profile? I would imagine that you need to apply the same requirements and standards to all contractors. Yeah, of course. Um, but Renee, maybe just uh, want to just clarify that one.
2: Yeah, so, and look, you know, Bianca can certainly add to this, but what we've often found sometimes is that, Um, you know, if you are having a a means to risk assess those contractors and the work activities that they're performing, then that can then dictate those relevant controls or systems that are needed for that. So whether it's, you know, uh, very high, high or low, or for example, um, but that's sort of what we mean around that scalable and having that flexibility because you're not going to want to apply the same level of scrutiny to say, I guess, a, a low risk. Contractor, as opposed to say a
1: tier one high risk um, contractor. Sure, Sure. okay. Um, Bianca, here, one for you here. Um, How do you make sure contractor pre qualification does not become a paperwork review process only and avoid keeping those contractors who have good experience and capability but don't have that documentation in place out the door?
3: Yeah, so I think, look, documentation, nobody likes it, but it is imperative because it's the, I guess, the evidence that we would all need to produce shall something go wrong. So, you know, essentially what you need to do is have a reassurance in that real procurement phase around what their system is and how they're implementing that. So if you can get around that by not having documentation, then um, as long as you're satisfying that need, that's sufficient um there will still be need a need for some level of documentation i'm not quite sure how you would get around it with none um but there needs to be a level of um yeah scalability you know you might have a mum and dad who might not have a certified system that might not look as jazzy and have a you know 20 30 policies but if their swim's and if their documentation at that fr- at that um, worker level or at that task level includes all of the information and meets all of the legal requirements, then that satisfies as well.
1: Yeah, sure. So I suppose it's, it's identifying what is the critical documentation. And as long as that's in place, you can probably be a bit flexible with, yeah, like you say, how jazzy something is. Correct. <laughs> right. So um, the next one, how do you monitor the contractor's credentials, i.e. by license, permit, certification? Um, expiry dates don't count for penalties, judgments, revocations issued by certs as organizations as contractors' compliance status changes daily. Um, I might answer that one actually. Um, obviously, there's, there's heaps of ways of uh, doing that. Um, but as I think if you have that uh, consistent pre-qualification uh, and checking process, um, often that there are there are a whole load of different digital solutions that offer that service um, which will give you sort of regular updates on um, when a license is going to expire or whatever or or they need to upload a new certificate Um, but then you know if it's a very simple setup then as long as you have a consistent uh, sort of cadence to your checks um, you know whether that be weekly or monthly or You have a requirement of contractors on as part of their contract to advise when a license is coming up for renewal. You have a lot of mechanisms and levers that you can pull to check that that compliance is ongoing. Um, In pre-qualification where a smaller or less mature subcontractor is tendering, how can you best compare provision of their documents versus that of the larger subcontractor? Is it a case of defining scope of flexibility? I think this is a really brilliant question. Um, we see it all the time where y- you want to get, uh, you know, your best value for money um, when you're tendering to, say, multiple contractors. And often you'll find that those sort of smaller outfits are more cost competitive, but then then they fall over at this kind of stage in terms of providing um, that information around their documentation. Um, Renee, I might just ask you to talk to how you, how you, address that when when the tenders are developed to go to contractors.
2: Yeah, and I think it sort of comes back to some of the the points that we raised earlier around if you've got that scope um, defined um, and that can be really quite key. It's it's a really critical um, step. And also when you are receiving those responses, I guess, ensuring that you've got the right people to review them. So um, in your organisation, you've got someone there with some safety experience or obviously that that subject matter expert for that particular um, project or task, getting them involved and obviously assisting. Um, And look, we do see that, you know, if there's a particular, like, Phoebe has just mentioned if you do see a contractor who you go look they I can can see that they're going to be the best fit for our business but they need some assistance here then you can advise them and and I guess just to say look you know this is a gap I can see can you please go away and address that and come back to us so I think um, by um, look there's multiple ways in which you can do that that's just one example but I think you need to make sure you've got something flexible so you're workable within your business as well.
1: Yeah. And, and that collaborative approach, you know, not just cutting someone off at the first, the first hurdle, um, but being open to working with them where they may just have a little step to get over the line.
2: Yeah, and if you're taking that approach at the front of that engagement, you're setting up the tone of that engagement throughout that particular life cycle as well. So it's not going to come any surprise that you're going to be checking in and going, look, you know, um, and even just with, you know, your licences and their their system should be in a position to check that as well. But then if you're having spot checks, um, so you can set yourself up for that, I guess, engagement piece early on and, and translate that through the engagement as well.
1: Sure, thanks Renee. Um, I might just, we just ask her these last two questions um, and um, what before I answer those, just uh, the free bonus resources are downloadable and that will be emailed out post, post the um, webinar. Um, okay, so these last two here. Um, within our organisation, we have been advised that we must request a copy of contractor's WHS documents, review them and then ensure the contractor is carrying out work in accordance with their documentation. This is challenging when it comes to trades, as we are not technical experts, which is obviously why we ingrate tradies in the first place. How do we manage this obligation? If we review their WHS documents, are we taking on liability if the processes are
3: actually inadequate? And Bianca, I'll just ask you to field that one. Yeah, no, that's a really good question. I get this quite frequently. When we're reviewing uh, our swims, it's not about the way in which the task is being done. It's making sure that that, that safety documentation actually has all of the key points. So like myself, I'm not you know, a technical expert on how to drive a forklift or operate an EWP. So for me, when I go on, on site, I wanna look for the key areas of does this person or has this person identified what their key risks are, Have they identified what their controls are? What are their training and qualifications? It's all those things that are listed out in the code of practice in relation to um, the SWIM's documentation. That's what you're reviewing. It's not necessarily the specific steps in which that contractor is is undertaking the work. Of course, if you've got experience and, and expertise, then yes, you can apply that. But again, it's about that consultation and that review and that discussion that you're having with that subject matter expert. Thanks for that. Okay, so last question here. Uh, we have a number of
1: contracting companies embedded in the business and working on site daily. They work under our site safety systems and PTW processes. They have the attitude that they are irreplaceable and so do their contractor managers. Uh, as an HS h resource, how do I carefully get the contractor managers to see their compliance is average at best and improvements need to be made? More I could say but leave it at that. <laughs> I think that speaks volumes. Um, <laughs> Renee, um, do you want to just respond to that one?
2: Yeah, I guess um, what you could do is, is, you know, look at sort of launching a new initiative to say, look, you know, I'm gonna get out and about and, you know, just as part of that sort of proactive approach to safety, I'm just really keen to get involved and then get an understanding of the project and how I can support you. And I guess use it as a bit of an engagement process. And then you can sort of, I guess, um, get yourself there to site and then be able to work in i guess a bit of an observational don't go out with your clipboard first time just go out and have a chat and start to do some observations and then start to build up those trusts and those not the trust but get your relationships get your face known get your name known get your name out there and then start to, that's how i would be doing it i'd be then next time you go out okay look last time i was here i noticed this i just want to have a chat with you about this um it will probably be largely conversationally to begin with but then i think it's just that shift in approach and then slowly and time you can work up okay look this is the second time i've come here this is what i've noticed this is really now your responsibility to 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 address this um yeah
1: yeah so it's a work in progress but it requires commitments on both sides yeah Yeah.
2: and 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 thought and you have yes you know you have to um you have to be a bit considered as well about how you go about that
1: yeah um I, i was going to finish up there but one last question's just popped through so this will be the last one and then we'll i'll hand back over to sarah okay um, if some contractors have their own permit system and others don't, we as the hiring company or PCBU have to have our own permitting systems that all contractors have to default to. And how do you manage this? Um, Bianca, I might just get you to talk to that last question.
3: Yeah, so I guess firstly, it would um, be dictated by what your own health safety management system says, because there are some requirements and some people write their systems to say that if a contractor doesn't have their own permitting system, they are required to use... principal um, or the person who we're speaking about, their system. So if that's what your system actually says is your contractors are required in the absence of their own to use your system, then that's the way it needs to run. Um, And essentially, whoever the um, owner of the asset and the person managing the particular asset, they're needing to be involved in the process regardless of whether um, the contractor has their own permitting system. So. You know, we, we see this quite a lot with facilities managers for argument's sake. You know, they might have an electrician who goes out on site and that electrician has his own permitting system, but the facility manager also. So both, if both systems says that they are both required, then that's what needs to happen. But essentially, uh, you know, it comes back to the due diligence requirement. The facilities manager has a requirement as a business owner and as an asset owner to have his system fulfilled, so that permit needs to be done. And then that electrician will have his own. Um, So if the electrician chooses to use just the facilities manager, then he can do that because he's still satisfying the fact that he's actually completed a permit.
1: All right. Thank you very much, um, Bianca and Renee, and thank you all for joining us. Um, Any other other questions you may have, um, when the email comes out with our downloadable resource, there's an email address where you can send your queries directly to us uh, at Greencap, and we'd be happy to answer them. Um, but I'll pass back to Sarah
0: to close this out. Thank you very much, um, Phoebe. Um, I really appreciate the expert advice today from your team at Greencap. So um, I will send a recording out later. The resources that they've mentioned have are in the chat. There's a link there, but it will also go out via email. So, please check out those resources. Um, I'd like to thank Anne from Ann Stonia from GreenCap for helping arrange this um, today's webinar. So, thank you, Bianca. Thank you, Phoebe. And thank you, Renee. And hopefully we can get together again one day soon. Okay? Everyone, Thanks, every, everyone have a great day. Thank you. Thanks very much. Thank,
3: okay. you.
0: thank you. Bye. Bye.